Yes, welcome to the NBA Honor for a special episode. Today I'm, today I'm joined by NBA champion, three-time NBA three-point champion, Craig Hodges. Craig, how, how you doing? I'm good, brother. How you feeling? I'm good, man. Great to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Now, you put in work over your whole career on and off the court. I mean, getting the glimpse into your book, Long Shot, you had a long, mm-hmm. a long historic career. How was it for you looking back on it? First of all, just thank Almighty God for giving us a chance to speak, brother. You know, for me, it was, you know, you have your dreams when you're growing up and you go through it and you go through your training and, and then you get a chance to actually get to the level that you want to get to. And, you know, for me, in looking back, it was just, uh, you know, one of those things that you put you put a lot of energy and passion into it and you get a chance to reach you know, your goals, man, and any time that you can do that, you feel, you know, you feel pleased about it. And at the same time, you know, there's um, a lot of responsibility in, in just getting to that level, man. So it's a lot of life experiences that I've been blessed to, you know, receive from, you know, that level of play as well as, you know, the type of people that you get to meet on that on that journey, man. Yes, you had a major impact using your platform on and off the court. Um, Tell us about your encounters with the great Curtis Scott King, R. Kelly, um, Michael Jordan. Um, you put in before <laughs> today we have players that's marching out and speaking up against social injustice. But you were doing that back then. So you were like a pioneer for the NBA now. You know, and the wild part for me, man, is is you know, Philip will tell you the way we grew up, we grew up in a community. I grew up in, in I was born in nineteen sixty, so I was a baby of the movement. And my mom being who she was as far as the uh, integral part in being the secretary for the civil rights organization in my hometown, you know, some of the things that were, you know, in her spirit when I was born was, you know, social justice and the like. So when I look back at my life and my career and and the positions that I've taken, I think it all goes back to, you know, my upbringing, man, the community that raised us and that we were raised in a community that was segregated, you know, and at the same time we had to, as far as me being a child and watching, and seeing the leadership that was provided in order for us to, you know, get some changes made, man, that stuck with me the rest of my life and still continues to stick with me in as far as how can you utilize your life energy to help others and, and be of service. And I think that's one of the biggest things for me is that seeing the service that people were given at that period of time with no wealth, with no, you know, it's a big difference in, in today. And, and like when I was uh, speaking out in the 90s, you know, without the the social media or whatever, you know, a lot of players felt the same way I did, but they just didn't take the platform to speak about it. You know, racism, racism isn't one of those things that's just uh, individualized. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So you do, it's uh, you know, and and then like at the same time, man, at the end of it, being able to sit down and write a book about my life experiences from you know the NBA and that kind of thing, and you know all of the you know, some people may look at the emotional side of it, whether it be the R. Kelly piece or whether it be, you know, the real part for me that was kind of emotional was when we were at the uh, Dr. King Center and had a chance to sit with um, the late Dr. Coretta Scott King. And and what she told us, what she told us about, you know, the enemies and those people who actually killed her husband were the very people that were funding the center now. And that, to me, that just struck me as one of those things that that's what happens, that 
You know, we have in our midst great leadership, and we don't recognize it for what it is. And then when it's gone, that leadership could be be usurped and taken over by other people to make it as seem as though they loved Dr. King when he was alive, and that was totally not the case. And she put it to us like that. So that was that was eye opening. So it's been some blessings, man, for me being able being able to get a chance to meet people in my life that were actually, you know, people that I really looked up to from afar, whether it be Don Carlos, Jim Brown, Loretta Scott King, uh, Nelson Mandela. You know, I've been blessed, man. My, my son calls me the uh, Black Forest Gump on a, lot, <laughs> on, a lot, on a lot of levels because he's like, man, you got to meet a lot of people, brother, that, you know, yeah. that are historically relevant. And, you know, for me, that was, in, indeed, that's a blessing, man. And it's it's one of those things that I will always cherish, man, because I was being, I was able to, you know, not only get a chance to play on the level that I wanted to play on, but to right. participate in social justice on a level that, you know, felt good to my spirit. Um, you still hold the record for most three-point shots, consecutive shots and three-point contests. And you want mm-hmm. to refer to only two players and win three consecutive three-point shooting contests, which is hard mm-hmm. to do. Um, and also with the new rules, now they have a money ball right. But you guys did it before the new <laughs> implementation of the new rules, which helped players mm-hmm. to win the contest. You guys mm-hmm. are the originators, and you two are mm-hmm. one of the best shooters in the NBA. But now we have yeah. players that are shooting threes, that's like Carly Town, Joe Embiid. We have evolution yeah. three-point shot is is just evolution. We have one through five that are shooting threes right now. But you guys right. did it back when it was just the – you guys were the originators. Yeah, you know, and then I look at, you know, just the uh, the different nuances in the game now compared to when we played. You know, the physicality, um, the game started from the inside out. Now it starts right. from the outside in just based on the analytical, the analytical game of, that the game is taking on, you know, that threes count for more. Threes count more than two, so let's see how many deals right. we can put up. So the game has actually become a positionless game to me when I watch it. It's not, yeah. you know, not too much really being passed into the pain or passed. Not too many people are hitting the post and cutting through and doing things like that. And when we played the game, you know, you look at all the man, all the great centers that played, you know. The first thing, I couldn't imagine Isaiah Thomas coming down in, in, in that Steph mode and just raising up and jacking. Right. When you got, <laughs> when you got James Edwards. Who's gonna be in your ear? Hey, boy, <laughs> you better get that thing right. down there a couple times before you go doing that crazy <laughs> shit. You know, right. so it's it's one of those things <laughs> where where the game has changed from a from the standpoint that you know Steph came in and was able to take it to a different level where everybody said, hey, we gotta. And that's the thing with the NBA. Once you get in, you realize that everybody steals from everybody else. So right. whatever's working, another team is gonna try it, even if they don't have a a team that's comparable to be able to do that. People still want to try to shoot threes. So I, I watch a lot of games, man, and I'm like flabbergasted to see four or five trips and nobody winning the paint at all, you know. Right. But the playoffs the playoffs are a different game where, you know, you're not going to, you know, and I think that's one of the things that uh, Mike D and Tony found out. You know, you might be able to lead the league in scoring and all that job, but when the playoffs comes, it's going to be a grind out session, man. And, yeah. And the game is totally, it's going to change from regular season to playoffs for sure. 
Yeah, the playoffs, the game slows down. Exactly right. It does. Half court game is a must, and defense is a must. So you run yeah, out in three. In every, in every possession, every possession in playoffs are magnified by 10 compared to the season. Yeah, we just started going to save Warriors, which was no shooting threes. They shot themselves out of the miss game against the Lakers because they shot so badly. I mean, Clay Thompson yeah. had one of the worst games, and that threw, them, that, threw, that threw the whole chemistry off. That their threes yeah. aren't shooting, and they aren't getting inside. And who they played, they played the Lakers as Anthony Davis, who controlled the paint a little bit. And that threw them off, and that led to the Lakers as managed to the conference final. Yeah, and, it, you know, and, and once again, I say I say this, you know, too. You know, when you say Clay is tight, Clay was, didn't shoot well, but I look at Steph. Steph looked like he was gassed, you know, even though yeah. he was getting his numbers. You could see that he had to work hard because they were face guarding him the whole time, a lot of times. So, right. you know, that's the thing, man. And they they got a lot. And that's what I tell people about winning championships. You have a lot of games on your body. And that at some point in time, you're not going to be able to get that, that same energy output that you had two years ago. If you're right. chasing the championship four or five years in a row, guys aren't getting any younger, you know, and, you know, your, your solid backup group, you know, you may change that that a little bit, and that changes the nuances of what you do. So it's right. uh it's it's always you're gonna be that task that if you win a lot of championships at some point in time, it's gonna be that that demise of energy. Definitely, and you get everybody's best shot every game because they want to take out the championship exactly. name for themselves. Exactly. Since you you won four championships, two as a player and two as assistant coach. Um, you mm-hmm. were part of arguably the best team, one of the best teams in Bay history, the Chicago Bulls with yourself, mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. How was it for you playing with that roster and being a crucial part of that of their winning? You know, the biggest part for me when I stop and look back, man, is to know that we had we had a group of players who had went through, I mean, getting our butts kicked with Detroit. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and that's why I tell people, too, um, that when you, when you, like right now, I look at Philadelphia, is in that position that we were with Detroit after having get to a game seven, get your butt whooped, and now you got to go back to the drawing board thinking that you had it solved. And for us, I think uh, when Tech, when when Phil came in and gave the yeah. offense over to Tech, it, the, the team took a whole different perspective. At that point in time, now it was about you know Michael sharing the basketball. It was about you know us being able to play a lot freer, but at the right. same time, you were playing under a structure. And I think that was the part that a lot of people, when they looked, you know, initially, uh, Michael and Scotty, they were balking against it. They didn't want to run triangle because it was isolation basketball at that time. Right. And, you know, we felt like we were happy as, as uh, role players, you know, that we were going to get a chance to touch the pill. <laughs> right. You know? And, and I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, in looking at both the Lakers and the Bulls and the runs that they both teams had under field, you know, and under the triangle. And I don't think that's going to ever be, you know, no no other system will be able to win that much over a period of time like the triangle has. Um, shooters in the NBA are a special breed. Um, have a special class. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I played basketball at not a professional level, but I was a shooter. I shot threes all the time. And at certain times, yeah. I knew when it left my hand, I knew it was good. I still get down yeah. for that today a little bit because, like, how you know that was going in? I'm like, you just know I can't explain it. You know to the yeah. highest level. So how did you? How was it knowing when you let it go, it's good? 
Well, I think, you know, I think the biggest part is, you know yourself, is that how many balls you shoot by yourself. Right. And Repetition. Yes. The the repetition of it, the the consciousness of that. You know, one of the biggest things for me as a shooter was it's a 50-50 thing. You know what I'm saying? That right. it's a chance that I'm going to miss, and what I want to do is take out all of the new, take out all of the, possibilities for something to go wrong within my shot. So my shot to me was compact. It was, I really didn't shoot the ball unless I knew I had um, probably 85 to 90% chance of making it. So if I would catch a ball on the wing and someone was approaching, I wouldn't be headstrong that I'm going to just jack. I'm going to make the next play, whether it be a read on the dribble or a pass. But a lot of shots that I shot, if you look at them, go back and look at them, I was wide open, man, because you know, when I look at MJ and Scotty on that drive or when I was in Milwaukee with Paul Pressey as point forward, you know, it was open court opportunities. And, you know, I was able to lengthen the court up because I could, you know, make three-point shots and spread the defense. And I think that's the part to me is uh, that has become more so than just the three-point shot is that the the, split, the spacing of the court when you have someone that can shoot from distances. Correct. Um, when you hit 19th Street in the subsequent contest, you were in the mm-hmm. definite zone. How how was it for you? Was it like shooting in the ocean? You know, crazy part is when I look back at that, before the before we went into that round, me and Cliff, Cliff Levinson, who was my, my hype man the whole time, <laughs> he, he, me and him are standing over there while the other person is going, and we're like, yeah, man, I'm not going to miss. I'm not going to miss. He's like, no, you're not going to miss. So I went into that rack. I went into that rack with a mindset that I wasn't going to miss. And it was so crazy that when I got walked up to the rack, everything went silent. It wasn't 20,000 people. It wasn't people watching on TV. It wasn't the guys behind me on the bench or any of that. It was just me basically in the gym by myself. But the difference in that 19 uh, in a row was that I had taken my position in that competition that I was – going into a game situation, and all I had to do was shoot tonight. I didn't have to guard anybody. I'm going to just go out here and shoot this thing, and, I, and I'm and i going to be open every time that I shoot it. So there's no reason for me to miss. And yeah. when, the, when I made the 19th one, that was the only time in the competition in that round that I looked at the clock. So when I looked at the clock after the 19th one went in, it was 12 seconds left, and me knowing I 12 seconds to shoot six balls is plenty of time. And right. so, like you say, you shoot the ball knowing that it's going in, right? So right. every other shot that I shot, the 19 that I hit in a row, I held my follow through until the ball went in the net, right? Right, right. So when I got to the 20th one, when I shot it, I knew it was going in. You know what I'm saying? And I started, <laughs> I started off to the sixth rack, to the fifth rack, rather. And when it came out, when it came out, it surprised the hell out of me, all right? So if you yeah. go back and look, at that point in time, I started to hear everything again. Oh, man, I'm in a competition. You feel me? And yeah. it was it was totally being able to put yourself in a space, in a place. People call it a zone, but I, I don't know much about the zone. I just say that you, you're able to take yourself to a place where you're comfortable, you know you're capable of doing it, and the biggest right. thing, can you can you do it tonight? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, and that's the thing. It's always that work that you got to put in in order to to achieve. 
Definitely. Yeah, you want to see championship as a player and to as an assistant coach, as I alluded to earlier. Um, what do you think had more impact on your career? What, what would you say? Your titles or your social impact through your platform? What's well, the last, last few mark for you? Well, like I said, you know, we're going we're gonna to be uh, citizens and, and, and civilians more than we are going to be basketball players in our life. So, you right. know, in that run, you know, even on the level of coaching, I, I've considered coaching again and that kind of thing, but yeah. at the same time, the, the things that are necessary, you know, for us to do on a societal level is as important or more important to me. So right now the work that me and my godson are doing and that kind of thing is is, is critical to, to my development and where I want to go. And, you know, some of the basketball, you know, it's that saying that, when I grow up, I got to let some of the games go, Right. <laughs> you know, and that yeah. in order to be in the NBA, every one of those players, you have to still have that childlike mentality and right. that, that, that fun that you want to have fun and playing the game is probably the most fun that we have as players. So, you know, I've just taken, I've taken a position that, you know, the stuff that we do on a societal level can be just as rewarding and enjoyable. So, so. That's been my position is trying to make sure that, you know, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy sharing information. So that's taken on that competitive role for me and as far as where basketball was in the place that it had in my life. On your coaching transition, um, how was how was your, your playing how did your playing career help you with that transition and also playing under great coach such as Phil Jackson? Well, you know, one of the biggest things, like I said, you know, the guy that me text winner, Lord rest his soul is the key to both, both winning and coaching. You know, it was under triangle, and no one on earth has had more more experience in triangle than Craig Hodges. I played for Texas for four years at Long Beach and then right. had to change to play, you know, two or three more years under the system and then get a chance to come to L.A. and get a chance to teach the players how to run the system. And it right. was whether it be – a center where you should be or a forward where you should be under the system as well as tech. So when we're implemented, we're implemented on both the Bulls and the Lakers, you know, I got a chance to be in the forefront of that because of the, the information and knowledge I have of the system and, and right. being able to show, show the guys the, the nuances of it and where you can be effective, especially the guards. Right. Um, the era you played in, I, I do believe, and it's compared to this era through physicality. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen, I've watched, I watched you in the Bulls as I was growing up, and I saw the mm -hmm. fouls you, Mike, everybody else took, doing mm -hmm. beer handing out fouls. So <laughs> mm -hmm. today's oh, game, yeah. you get ejected. You'll get ejected. Do you think oh, the, yeah, biggest, yeah. the biggest difference in, in today's era and the era you played in? Because right now you get a whistle for hooking someone's arm and you're going to the foul line. Incredible. It's and you know, but I think it's it's like. Um, the, this implementing uh, and taking uh, taking out the hand check and you know body bumps and all that kind of stuff, I think it lends itself to more points, and I think right. that's what the I think that's what the league is trying to foster um, to to make the game a little more exciting, and similar to what baseball did in the pitchers count. Uh, right. <laughs> you know that we have to try to bring in new. New implement new things that will enhance the drawing power that we have as a organization or as a as a, a collective body in ownership, 
And right. I think that's that's the part of it where I would love to have played during this period of time without the physicality that we played under. You know what I'm saying? Coming down court against Magic Johnson, and he hand check you and he stop you on a dime. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But, so I'm 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 glad that I played in the era that I played in. I think, you know, and going back and once history revealed itself, it would show that that was the golden era of basketball from yes. the late the late seventies through the nineties. Yes, <laughs> and be on NBC. Yeah, <laughs> I still no you yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, you did four years. You played. You did four years in college. Today we have players mm-hmm. that can go to college but decide not to, and they lose some valuable mm-hmm. experience. Because not every player is one and done. You have to be one that experience the NBA and say they're riding it out. It made GE has made a different path also. But getting the college, a college experience can be priceless to some players. Um, what do you think yeah. you took away from your college experience more than going straight to the NBA? I think the biggest part, man, is being able to, when you leave college, you're a grown man, you know, and that pretty much you have an idea of where you want to go with your life. And when I look at, when I look at uh, some of these younger guys and they come out, are they really are they really ready to deal with the new to deal with the nuances of society from a level that you know you're an athlete and you're yeah. multi-millionaire? You know, when I look at John Morant, man, it's like yes, yes, about to mention him, yes. It's like you know, I, I get I get it, man, because you know, peer pressure is a monster, man, and at the same time. At the same time, you know, imagery and all of this, and you know, like like you said, we didn't have the luxury of the social media. So you know, it was guys in the league during my time, man. They would come to practice with their gun on, them, and it wasn't no thing. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't no thing. And then, and that's the part where you know, I look back when they were talking about Gilbert Arenas and the gun in the locker room. I was like, shit, yeah. man, if you wouldn't have give, you probably would have went through the locker rooms and ate. <laughs> How many people had, had pistols in their bags or in the car when they got in the car or whatever? But, right. you know, now it's just, you know, when I see that, man, and I just say once again, when I tie, for me, I tie our condition wherever we at to our people, man. So when you got a, a $100, $200 million contract, brother, yes. that wasn't just given to you. And I think that's where we differ from. I'm gonna send I'm gonna send my godson this uh video I got the other day. And this this Mexican cat and he's talking about how it's it's wild to him how black people could be the most powerful people in America, but we have constant battles with each other. Who has the best right. car? Who has the best woman? Who has the best this? Who has the best that? Right. And it's a constant competition. Where other nations of people, they are they uh, applaud your success. Right. Where, you know, I want it's it's funny, you know, people talk about the things that I did, but how many people came to my assistance? None. <laughs> there, yeah. you know, and even now I say, okay, since we talk about Craig Hodges doing this, doing that, later for Craig Hodges, what are you doing in that same vein to, to help raise the level of consciousness? among poor people and people of color. Right. You have we have a means. So when I look at, you know, all of the brothers, you think about it, man, you take one bus, one bus from any professional sports franchise, whether football, baseball, basketball, whatever, and you take the aggregate income of black athletes on that bus 
Right. And I guarantee you it's ten times it's ten times the budget that Dr. King had in the movement. All right? Yeah, Just one I player. Totally agree. One player. And then we say we made strides with nothing. What could we do with something? <laughs> you right. know, so when the NBA decided to not let me play again, I was at the highest earning power of my career. So what would $50 million have done for the south side of Chicago? What would $50 million have done in, in enabling us to create jobs, create programs that affect gun violence? You feel me? So that was and, – and so when, with me, when I look at being excommunicated from the league, I call it white balls. You know, they they were effectively seeing really what I was capable of doing with the wealth that I had, right. really. And then when I stopped and really looked back at it, man, I had made the position that if I ever made $5 million, I would I understood the game that all I need to have is a million, and you're going to keep me at a million if I do the right things and get with the right bankers. Right. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? So we, we could leverage. How much could we leverage to our condition as a group of athletes? It's, it's you know it's it's untapped resource, brother. Yes, it's obvious you were financially um, educated at the time. A lot of players today are not. Like they see they get the money. As we talk about John, John's young. He's a million, multi-millionaire, and they don't have the right people around him. How was it for you being financially sound mentally when you won the NBA? Well, once again, I didn't make the money that them cats made, man. I and that's the thing for me is that at the point when I was ready to get that wealth and be able to do some things, it was shut down, you know, and I'm, I'm not bitter at it at all. I just realize it for what it is, and right. I continue my grind right here. So, you know, the wealth of being able to say I'm set was never that as far as I was concerned, especially when I was in the league, man. And what is and, and to me also, at what level are you set? So is it $200 million? Is it $40 million? Is it $50,000? What is set? from man to man or woman to woman. And I think right. many many times we look at that, especially our people, man, is that, you know, set is being able to retire, I guess. But to me, set was always taught that if I'm no better than the least of my people, man. So right. if, I'm, if I'm rolling at 20, 30 million, and then I go to the Heights in Chicago and see my people in such a condition, how do I feel? How how can I do something about that? And I know right. that many of our athletes are, I'm not going to say controlled, but are filtered through agents. Right. And that, and that filtering oftentimes takes away the ability for them to invest in communities that need their investment. But I'm happy to see I saw the, the brother that in Donegan sued that's the football player. I saw what he's doing up in, in the Seattle area. So right. there are players, there are athletes who are, are working towards, you know, developing our people so that we can be prepared to go go forward for the rest of humanity's time. Um, I have a platform I created on that we're on right now. Part of the end game of that, which is far away, is nowhere near the end, it's still growing. Um, right. was to get in a position to help others and yeah. and they network with people as yourself and to grow. Um, how was it How was it an importance of using your platform to the fullest as you've done and you're still doing? Well, you know, and once again, like you said, we're constantly evolving, man. And, and where we are now, we're in the age of Aquarius, so there's some things that are coming down that, you know, we have to be 
cognizant of being and being able to have some type of um, balance that knows that you know I have a, I still have work to do. And when we talk about platforms, I think it's constantly building, man. That we're constantly like today. I'm meeting I'm meeting you, so now we we right. built this platform, you know. So it's one of those things that we have to continue to stay in the moment. And I think that's right. one of the biggest things is not get caught looking back at what you've done, but where are you going and what are you capable of doing and what are you passionate about? I always ask young folks, what, are you, what is your passion? Because I think if you're passionate about something, it's going to happen. And I think yes. that's the biggest thing. Yes, it will. <laughs> that's the biggest thing, man, that our young folks need to know that you put your energy into something, you're going to get something out of it, whether it be positive or negative. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I yeah. look at that young brother that's getting up this morning, putting a nine millimeter in his pocket, and he's going to look for some mayhem. Right. You feel me? And then you yeah. got that same same age group where there's a young brother or sister that's trying to go to college and be a doctor. So right. how do we make sure that they who want to do well are insulated to be able to do that? Yeah. I was blessed. To, I was blessed to be able to say in truth. That the community raised me. The community raised us. And I, I threaten to say that that community was totally decimated during the crack era. Right. That I almost put that line in the sand, especially for my community in Chicago Heights, Illinois, is that we had a great, great community vibration. And when that hit town, I, hey, a lot of, uh, and I, it was all over the country, man. So that's why we have to constantly remember that none of this stuff happens in a vacuum and that there's a well-thought-out plan, you know, that this is, and, and those who control have really done their due diligence on what is necessary. For instance, right. you take Chicago, Illinois. Three of the top black people in the history of America are not born and raised there, but were sent there to get their game on. Michael Jordan, Oprah Winfrey, Barack Obama, all right? Why did they have to come to Chicago to get their game on in the early part of their careers? You follow me? Because Chicago, those who are cognizant know the importance of Chicago as being a hub for African-American thought, consciousness, and energy. So people were people were literally enthralled with Barack Obama. Now I go back and ask those same people <laughs> how you feel now. And they totally feel like they totally feel bummed out because they felt that he could have done more for the city of Chicago. Oprah Winfrey, you go build a school in South Africa. Okay? Michael Jordan, where you at? You know what I'm saying? So it's it's one of those things where for me, it's just us taking a conscious look and knowing who our allies are and right. who are not, you know, and us, we, need, we need to start to invest in those who are allies with us and not opposed to us, whether they seem to be friendly or not. <laughs> right. Because I'm a firm believer in um, if, you believe it, if you believe in it, it'll happen. I mean, take that work is dead. You put in the work. As you said earlier, it'll happen, man. You've got to keep going yeah. and fight through adversity. And there's no such there's no such thing as a natural anything. All right. So oh he's a natural no, I wasn't on natural shoot, I worked on that. 
Ain't nobody no natural singer. They work on that. You know, you may have the initial talent, but that right. talent has to be cultivated, has to be mentored, has yeah. to be, you know, pulled along, and, you know, it's going to be that. And the passion part of it comes in with the setback, you know, yes. that if you're passionate about it, you know yes. that, man, I couldn't read right away. I made a mistake in my English class, so why can I make a mistake out here on the court, and I'll be able to make up for it tomorrow because I won't make that same mistake that I made yesterday. Right. And I think those are those are the things that keep you keep you steady, keep you growing. Yeah, a lot of people look at failure as a motivator, but if you do, you'll grow faster. Because <laughs> I am not no the doubt. same person I was when I first started this. I'm totally better. I'm still getting yeah. better. So <laughs> Yeah, and that's Definitely. what it's about, man. And, and being conscious of where you are self-wise. And that being able to self-analyze, being able to be critical of who you are in the mirror and look at it and know that anything that's ever gone wrong has been your choice and anything that's ever gone right has been the creator blessing you with the right steps to take at that time. Yes. Yes. Craig, thank you so much for your time. This was a great conversation. I appreciate appreciate you, buddy. One thing I want to tell you, man, keep uh, keep on doing what you're doing, man because it's needed and necessary. Expand it where you can, expand it where you can, as best you can with people of of like minds, because yeah. it was crazy when I got to Long Beach State, it, it, it gassed me when I didn't, you know, I didn't really know Jack at the time, but it yeah. was just something about the term mass media that I would see people and hey, I'm going, I got my mass media book, I got my, and I'm thinking mass media. And then probably about my junior year, it hit right. me. <laughs> ah, this is people who are going into the media, going into NBC, CBS. Yeah. But the main thing, the class is teaching us that this is mass communication. It's not an individualized thing that this thing is going to go to millions and possibly billions of people with a right. message. So I want you to know that you got a message that people need to hear if it's nothing but giving people a platform to be able to resonate from and get good information from, and at the same time, be able to support you. And I think that's the thing that we have to do more of is not only uh, get into things, but we have to support them as opposed to just, oh, I'm going to tune in and listen to what John got to say. No, man, send some bucks that way. You know what I'm saying? Drop some dollars. Drop some dollars because, We'll drop dollars at other things in other places, but we have to start dropping them to ourselves, man. Definitely. Craig, thank you for your time, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate you, brother. Point champion, Craig Hodges. Thanks for joining me. Catch you next time.